Amen. Thanks. Thanks for doing announcements. <laughs> uh, as the ushers come forward now. You know, one, one thing we are, uh, that we do have going on that we'd like to have you be made aware of is next week, uh, after the second service, we have our semi-annual meeting. And so we invite you all to that. Uh, put it on your calendar. It's the time as a church we gather. We hear testimonies. We see uh, kind of a vision of where we're going, and we talk about uh, issues uh, regarding our church family and the community and what God's doing. So uh, it's a, usually a really encouraging time for those who attend. So I encourage you to put that on your schedule. And then also after the second service today, we have several people getting baptized. And uh, so join us if you stick around to uh, come down to the, to the creek. It's a special Rimrock tradition. Uh, and it's, it's special and it is cold. And uh, and it is memorable. Uh, but, uh, and if you've never been baptized, if you've never taken that step to publicly proclaim that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, um, this may be your day. And I encourage you just to catch us here uh, after the service or feel free to join us in the office before uh, we go down there after the second service and feel free to jump in and get baptized today. I, I know God honors that uh, in special ways that we can't describe, that step of obedience to publicly proclaim that uh, you are his and to publicly uh, proclaim that sense of death to our old self and life that comes through Christ. Uh, it's a beautiful picture, and I just encourage you to, to take advantage of that if you have never been baptized uh, and God's prompting your heart, jump in and do it. Uh, last week, we, we kind of looked at what have you surrendered, what have you not surrendered to God? And uh, it's been an interesting uh, discussion and for me and just an interesting time to think through those things. But what have you not surrendered to God? And we looked at uh, Esther's life and we're going to continue that today. And this week we're going to kind of take the other side of the coin and really look at what are you waiting for? Okay, it's one thing to, to surrender things to God that you have. But on the other side, there's always something that we're waiting for. And so what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I want you to think about that. I'm going to ask that God would give you something in your mind that you're waiting for. Um, I can give you lots of things people wait for. You know, maybe you're waiting to get married. Maybe you're waiting to have children, maybe you're waiting to get through school, maybe you're waiting to get through summer if you're a mom, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe you're waiting for a kids or your kids to get through some tough thing in their life. They're going through a hard season and you're just kind of waiting for them to get through it and hoping they get through it. Maybe you're waiting for a job opportunity or, or some issue you have with your your current boss or your co-workers and you're just kind of waiting for that to go away. Maybe you're waiting for your business to boom or at least to survive. Maybe you're waiting for vacation. You just need a break from everything. Um, maybe you're waiting for just something that's light. Maybe you're waiting for the rally or for football season or maybe you're waiting for something that's been on your heart for a long time and you want to get out of debt or you're waiting for some price to be paid that you're, you've been paying for a long time and you just want it to be done. Maybe there's some project that you just want finished. 
right? And, uh, and so what are you waiting for? Um, we've waited for a lot of things in our life. We just, this last week, got an answer that we've been waiting for for about a year. And, uh, and it's quite a process. You go at times trying to solve things on your own, and, and, uh, and then you kind of stop and just give God space to work, and then you want to solve things on your own, and you stop and give God space to work. And, and it was amazing to see how God provided the answer uh, through his people in ways we never would have even imagined. And I think all of us experience those things if we give God space to be God. And so that's what I'm going to really challenge you with. That's what I want you to think about as we look at the life of Esther is what are you waiting for? And then as we leave here, I'm going to ask you to leave that, that just once, just one time maybe, this thing uh, with Jesus and see if we can't wait a little differently than we typically do, okay? So, you know, there's several ways that we can wait. Um, I think the biggest thing we usually try and do is we try and solve the issue ourselves. So the very first thing, if we're waiting for something, we're going to figure out how we can get it. And we're going to use all the things we have in our power, all of our resources, all of our contacts, every common sense method we can possibly think of to get what we're waiting for. And, and we, uh, we want to get it, but that kind of comes with fretting and striving and really anxiously waiting. Uh, and I've often done that in my life, tried to pull things off on my own. Uh, the other way we can wait, though, kind of the other extreme, is to surrender this to God and wait for Him to act and wait for Him to direct the steps. And oftentimes, I'll just tell you right out, that makes no sense. Okay? That makes no sense. There's not a clear path. There's not a common sense way you can solve your problem. There's not a common sense way to get what you're waiting for. But you want to know what path you're on as you think about what you're waiting for. You just simply have to ask yourself, are you worried or are you peaceful? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you striving for what you're waiting for? Or are you peaceful? And you can easily tell what path you're on by that. And today we're going to see both of those paths personified in our story in Esther. Um, just as we come back to this book, uh, remember it at the time, Persia was one of the largest empires in the world. Um, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, parts of Egypt, uh, Sudan, Libya, Arabia, 127 different provinces. 485 B.C., Ahasuerus became king, also known as Xerxes. So he's the king over this place, one of the most powerful men in the world. And at the time of Esther, the Jews had been exiled out of Jerusalem. It had been about 100 years since Jerusalem fell. And this group that we're looking at in our story are living in Persia uh, at that time. And, and it, you know, even though God is not mentioned in the book of Esther by name, he's all through the book, as we've seen, and we will continue to see uh, him move and how he has not forgotten his chosen people. And so if you just remember the characters, you have the king, Xerxes, Ahasuerus, the same guy. Um, he's in charge of the whole kingdom. You have Haman, who's his top guy, and Haman's, we'll see, kind of a wicked guy. Um, Vashti was the queen. She disobeyed the king. She lost her position. So um, Esther was named the queen. And Esther was raised by Mordecai, who was Jewish. 
Haman comes along, the top guy, he tries to kill all the Jews because he hates Mordecai. He has a history with the Jews, which we looked at last week. And Esther comes in with Mordecai and saves her people. And so that's kind of how the story goes. And we're also looking at the allegory, really the, the picture behind the story, and, and something to just kind of get our hands around. And, and I think... Um, yeah, Chris made a slide for that, and he kind of pick up the allegory. Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, represents the soul, the soul of a person. So the king gives us a picture of your soul, of your mind, of your will, of your emotions. And when you picture this king and what he does, it, we can bring it out in, in, in our allegory to our soul, okay? Uh, the kingdom then represents the body, because what the king does... What he decides, what he thinks, what he chooses impacts the body. Thus, what the king does in the palace impacts the kingdom. Okay? Hey, man, represents the flesh, that part that's opposed to God, that part that's totally driven by yourself, that part of you that never improves. We all have that flesh, and Haman represents it very well. Uh, we'll see that Mordecai represents the Holy Spirit. And um, we'll see really how that plays out a lot today. And Esther represents the human spirit, uh, ultimately under the control of the Holy Spirit, okay? So we're going to pick up our story, and we're going to look at it historically, and then we're going to take it kind of in this, this allegory and apply it to our lives today and see if we can't pull out some incredible truths from God's Word that apply to our situations of what we're waiting for 2016 thousands of years later. So if you have your Bibles, flip open to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. Uh, and just we'll begin kind of picking up there where, where Esther er, earns, or learns about Haman's plot. Haman's going to destroy all the Jews. And they passed out a letter to kill them all, to annihilate all the Jews on a certain day. It was uh, nearly a year after the decree was issued, and Esther was Jewish, but she had not made that known. She's in the palace now as the queen, and she has to deal with this plot. And Mordecai, in verse 13 of chapter 4, um, tells them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. So Esther then tells them to reply to Mordecai, Go and assemble all the Jews who are in Susa. Fast for me. Do not eat for three days or three nights. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And when I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded. Father, we come to you today, and oh, God, I pray that you would just uh, move in our lives by the power of your Spirit. I pray that you would just get me out of the way and, and uh, give me the strength to just uh, stay on the sidelines and proclaim your truth, and may your Spirit go forth, and may your Word speak to us, and may you be glorified through this time. Uh, I pray that you would touch each of us as we consider what we're waiting for and that we learn to uh, 
to trust you with what we're waiting for. And we'll just give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the very first thing we looked at as we closed last week was Esther surrendered, okay? And, uh, and just think about what she has to lose at this point, right? So Esther, of course, came as an orphan, raised by Mordecai, her cousin, but now all of a sudden she's the queen, okay? And so you can imagine what she had as the queen, all the clothes she wanted, as well as someone to pick them out for and help her get dressed, right? All the spa treatments and uh, the uh, exercise uh, facilities and any kind of food you wanted and any kind of help you wanted from any of the women and you could go anywhere you wanted in the kingdom and you could do virtually anything that was on your heart and she had beautiful clothes she had beautiful residences she had all kinds of power everybody was bowing to her and she had all these things coming from really virtually nothing now she has a lot to lose and the problem she's facing is the problem is is that Haman's going to annihilate all of her people, the Jewish people. And she cannot solve that problem on her own. She's up against the wall. Even as the queen, she can't solve that problem on her own. And so she takes this step, which requires incredible trust, incredible courage to surrender, and says, if I perish, I perish. And it's frightening and it's exciting and it's unknown when you take those steps. When you come to the place where you can't solve your problems and you just surrender to Christ, which really in my mind is what really takes the ultimate courage, uh, surrendering to Christ and trusting Him, all of a sudden it's amazing what He can do. Okay? And if you come back to our picture, to our allegory, realize that it was not Esther's responsibility to, to make Haman pay. Uh, she was simply to obey Mordecai. Uh, it's not your job to fix your flesh, or anybody else's flesh for that matter. It's never going to improve. Uh, you can't just clean it up by trying harder. You see, it's God's job, and that only happens through the Spirit, and we're to walk in the Spirit. Esther had to die to her own ability to bring Haman to the place of justice. And allow Mordecai to move. And that's what she does when she surrenders. You see, our enemy in our world always wants us to get kind of stuck in these worldly aspects of our struggles. But when we get the spiritual things right, the worldly things follow. When we walk in the Spirit, we don't carry out the desires of the flesh. Life follows, not vice versa. So often we think, if I can just fix my life then I can walk in the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. You walk in the Spirit and you don't carry out the desires of the flesh. Esther didn't have to worry about losing her residence. She didn't have to worry about losing her, her wardrobe or her friends or her position or her power or her reputation. She surrendered to God. And all of a sudden, all these self-interests faded away. If I perish, I perish. And all of a sudden, she realized that it wasn't about all these things. It was about getting my relationship with God first. And it's very true for every single one of you. You might think it's about paying that bill, but it's about knowing that God is a provider. 
You might think it's about your kids and what they're going through and how you can help them through it. But it's really about realizing that they're God's kids and he loves them more than you do. And he might want them to turn out differently than you do. And it will be better. And that's a hard thing for parents to trust God with our kids. <laughs> Maybe it's not about your health. Maybe God is doing something through the sickness or through the illness. Maybe it's not about your ministry. It's his ministry. And he can do whatever he wants with it. Prosper or not from our perspective. But there's this incredible freedom when we get these things right from a spiritual perspective. Everything else falls into place. So Esther comes along and she's dead. She's free. She is willing to perish. And you cannot touch anybody from a worldly perspective who is walking in that kind of peace. It's like when uh, they tell you you have cancer and you find out it's terminal. And you can think, first of all, awesome, going to heaven. Right? What's the bad news? Going to heaven. It's totally cool. Or you think, well, you're going to suffer through the process. And immediately we think, well, that sucks. No one wants to suffer, right? But what an opportunity to glorify Christ through suffering. It's often kind of minimized in our society. We take those who suffer, those who are weak, and we kind of put them aside and put some young, strong, vibrant person in, in position, and yet we all suffer. Every single one of us suffers. And there's an incredible beauty about seeing the suffering dependent on Christ. And we all have that opportunity. So even as we suffer, there's an opportunity to see Christ glorified. Or you think, well, you're healed. Cool opportunity to see Christ glorified through that. You see, there's a freedom when you get the spiritual part right. Esther, all she had to do now that she had surrendered, willingly surrendered everything, was just obey whatever Mordecai gave her for instructions. All the responsibility became on his shoulders. And for her, it's like, it's time for a party. Okay? And that's exactly what she does. Chapter 5, verse 1 it came about on the third day. Esther put on her royal robe. She stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's room. The king was sitting in his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And it happened when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half your kingdom, it will be given to you. And Esther said, If it would please the king, may the king and Haman come this day to a banquet that I have prepared for him. So Esther surrendered. And now, don't lose sight of the fact that she had to wait. She had to wait. You know, it's not written in here, but there was three days and three nights of waiting. She had to wait. And there's, there's an incredible truth there for us that we can rest in the fact as we wait that Jesus Christ is waiting for you, Christians. He's paid the price, and you're free. And he is like the king saying, what can I do for you? 
he rose on the third day and on the third day she goes before the king she approaches the king in royal robes you can have your robes of righteousness on and approach the throne of grace it's just so true that we need to get this into our head that we have died with Christ Colossians 3 you've been raised to new life in Christ you can set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in place at God's right hand you can think about the things of heaven not the things of earth for you died to this life your real life is hidden with Christ in God you have died your life is hidden with Christ in God and people all the time say well how do I do that how do I die it's done it's finished you have died your life is hidden with Christ in God and we talk like it's so difficult to live the Christian life to live the dependent life but it's the most secure way to live because Christ does it through us that's what Esther shows if I perish I perish I'm gonna trust Mordecai she's free she's free in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 it's those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength they will mount up on wings like eagles they will run and not get tired they will walk and not become weary famous verses we just hang on to that verse but I know when we were first became believers Marcia she loved that verse but to her the idea of waiting upon the Lord was to be like a waitress okay and, and to serve in whatever way she could and to constantly try and meet God's needs and um, and it just wore her out because truly God doesn't have any needs and uh, and and so the word though in the Hebrew is an incredible word because it, it means to look for to wait means to look for the Lord but it also means to bind together it's a word they use for tw twisting together of a rope okay and that's the idea is like we can twist together with God and, and all of a sudden when we twist together with God when we exchange our life for his life our perspective becomes his perspective we get his perspective like the eagle we get his energy we get his perseverance and it's a big decision to, to wait on the Lord to trust him but Jesus Christ allows us to have his strength allows us to have his wisdom his vision his energy his perseverance that's what he offers us and all we have to do is wait tie together with him surrender to him that's what Esther discovered and in verse 7 if you go down there um, Haman came to the banquet in verse 7 Esther says my petition and my request is this if I have found favor in the sight of the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request and my petition to do what I request may the king and Haman come to a banquet which I shall prepare for them tomorrow and I will do what the king says so all of a sudden she has this banquet king says what do you want she says well I want you to come to a banquet tomorrow and we think well that's kind of funny but you know what she was surrendered and God's timing required her to wait one more day and this is where it really gets fascinating and I and I just want you to think about this when you think about what you're waiting for just think about what happens in that one more day and we see it played out here and it's really what happens so often in our lives so often in our lives it just becomes so real to us 
So all of a sudden, you have this, this, this Esther who's waiting for God, and she's just surrendered. She has open arms, right? She's willing to do whatever God asks her to do. Whatever Mordecai tells her to do, she's willing to do. She's free. Now, on the other side, you have Haman. Okay, Haman, this wicked guy, this prideful guy. This guy is all about himself. And, and Haman's pride shows up in verse 9. Haman goes out after that banquet, and he's pleased. But Haman sees Mordecai in the king's gate, and he saw that Mordecai didn't stand up or he didn't tremble before Haman, so he's filled with anger against Mordecai. And Haman controlled himself. He went to his house. He sent for his wife, his friends, Zeresh. Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches, the number of his sons, every instance where the king had magnified him, and how he had been promoted above all the princes and all the servants. And he said, even Esther the queen, let no one but me come to the king to the banquet which she had prepared. And tomorrow also, I'm invited by her. And yet all of this doesn't satisfy me. Every time I see Mordecai, that Jew, sitting at the king's gate. And Xerxes, his wife, said, we'll have a gallows, 50 cubits high, made in the morning, and ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it and go to the banquet with the king. And the advice pleased Haman, so the gallows were made. You see, Haman is so proud, so self-centered. He's honored by the king, by the queen of Persia. He's honored by the people. They're, they're forced to bow before him. And one man makes him feel worthless. One man. You see, that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the picture of the rewards of this world. The words of this world are empty. There's never enough to be completely fulfilled. And there's always a hunger, and God designed that hunger to be filled in him. Haman represents your flesh. It's never satisfied. It never improves. And the Holy Spirit comes and explodes, exposes that flesh as ugly. Self is never the answer. And often your flesh will kind of play along and it knows that, that it's in trouble, but it tries to save itself by being religious, and you get to sing a little on the stage or give a little money or teach a class or preach a sermon or serve in the nursery and try and earn God's favor. <clears throat> Maybe you can even gain approval for yourself. But it, but it never ultimately happens because there's always that one thing out there that the Holy Spirit convicts you of. Always that one thing out there that leaves us falling short of God's glory. That leaves us falling short of what we desire. That we can pull off on ourselves. And even if you try and wipe the Holy Spirit out of your life, it never happens. And that's what Haman's trying to do, is wipe out Mordecai. Figures that's going to solve his problem. But I'm telling you, you will never wipe out Almighty God from your life, ever. Ultimate approval rises and falls on him. So Haman has this gallow built, and actually what they did in Persia was worse than a gallow, really. They just impaled their victims on a stake. And it's about 75 foot high, and so um, as he goes to bed that night, they're working on the stake where they can impale Malachi. He's going to deal with this guy once and for all. Get him out of his life. And I tell you, you can wait for what you're waiting for like Haman does, right? Holding on tight to what you got, trying to grab one more thing. 
That's really what Haman's doing. He's got everything, almost, but he wants one more thing. Not going to let go of what I got. I want one more thing. And you live your life trying to grab on and keep what you got and grab on and keep what you got. And you wonder why you're so stressed out and worried because you got all this stuff. And it's hard to hold on to all this stuff. And much less to try and get more stuff. And, and that's kind of how we can live our lives. That's kind of how we can wait for the things of God. And if you think about it from the perspective of Esther, if she had known what's going on because she delayed for a day, she would have been freaking out, right? She delayed for a day, and now what, what's going on? She doesn't know, but man, Haman's building this gallow to kill Mordecai. Should have just told the king that day what she wanted. But that's not how God works. Matter of fact, that's often how our circumstances look. We think all of a sudden we need to act now. We need to fix this now. We can't wait for God's direction. We can't wait for God to move. God's not going to make it happen. Somehow evil's going to win. This is not going to work out right. God does not have the power. God does not have the strength. God is not in control. And we have to fix it ourselves. And so we wait by holding on and grabbing and holding on and grabbing. And we're very frustrated and we're very angry and we're anxious. And we're stressed out as we wait. But you see, the truth is, is God is moving. And he's moving in his own way at his own time. And he's moving in your lives in incredible ways. If you go to chapter 6, verse 1, during that night, the king couldn't sleep. So he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found that Mordecai had reported Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay their hands on the king. And the king said, what honor or duty has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servant who attended him said, nothing's been done for him. And so the king said, well, who's in the outer court? And Haman had just entered the outer court, the king's palace. Why did he come? He wanted to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai and the gallows, which he had prepared. And so here's the picture. Five years ago, Mordecai had saved the king. And now he remembers. Now he's awakened. Now he remembers that night. That night. You see, God notices that night. He notices that time, the right time. And it's like for us, at the right time, all of a sudden you remember what the Holy Spirit did in your life however many years ago, where he's prompting you and how he works, and things go like, ah, and uh, it's amazing. At that time, God moves. And you may be waiting, and you may be thinking, it's so bleak, it can't happen. What I'm waiting for is, is desperate. And there's no way it's ever going to work out. But believe me, God is moving. And at that time, at that time, if you just trust him, he will move. And it's amazing to see what he does. And so Haman walks in there, and the king says, well, to Haman, what would you do if you want to honor someone? And of course, Haman knows exactly what he would do if he wanted to be honored. And so in verse 7, Haman says to the king, for the man who the king desires to honor, let him bring a royal robe, which the king has worn, the horse on which the king has ridden, on whose head the royal crown has been placed. Let the robe and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble princes, and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback throughout the city square and proclaim before him, thus it shall be done for the man the king wants to honor. You know, Haman knows exactly what 
he would want to be honored by because he's thinking, who else would the king want to honor but me? Right? That's how we think when we're in the flesh. It's all about me. And I know exactly what I want to happen. Right? I know exactly what I'm hoping everybody will say. I'm hoping what, what, what situation will work out. I know exactly what's going to bring me the most glory. And, and we've all thought that through in our mind. Just let it go, and you start thinking about yourself, and you think about what's best for yourself, or what's best for your kids, or what's best for your family, or what's best for your future. And man, you know when someone comes to you with the power and says, hey, how can I honor you? Oh, here's what I got. Here's my list, right? This, 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 this is what's going to honor me, okay? And that's our flesh, and Haman knows it. And it's a good challenge when we start thinking that way to think, well, what about if we were to do that for Christ? What about if I just turn the switch a little bit and instead of thinking how I can honor me, how could I honor Christ? How can I glorify Jesus Christ the same way you want glory? It changes your life. And the story pivots here. It just pivots here. Because Haman's purpose is to kill Mordecai and God's purpose is to exalt Mordecai and you know who wins every time. You see, the flesh is opposed to the Spirit, opposed to the things of God, but guess what? God will be honored. God will be honored. Jesus Christ will be glorified. And that's what happens. Chapter 10, 6, verse 10, the king says to Haman, well, take the robes, the horse, <laughs> I love this, the horse, as you have said, and, you know, and do it for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate, and don't fall short in anything. Of all that you have said. So Haman takes the robe, takes the horse. He arrays Mordecai, leads him on horseback through the city, proclaims this is what should be done for the man whom the king desires to honor. And then Mordecai returns to the king's gate. That's where he was stationed in his humility. But Haman hurried home mourning. His head is covered. And Haman recounted to Xerxes, his wife, all the, and his friends, all that had happened to him. And the wise men and, and Xerxes said, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. You see, the truth is, Jesus Christ will be exalted. The Holy Spirit will overcome the flesh. The truth is, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, on heaven, on the earth, under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not a gray. It's not a question. It's not an I wonder. It's a fact. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Period. That's how the story ends. Jesus Christ will be honored. He will be honored. And as much as we want to skirt around it, as much as we want to honor ourselves, as much as we think we can do things on our own power, as much as we think we can wait and try and get things for ourselves apart from God, the bottom line truth is he will be honored. And what's amazing about that is he wants to be honored right now in our lives. And what he wants to do is honor you. God wants to honor you. Jesus Christ has already paid the price for all your sins. He's already dealt with your flesh. He's already sent the Holy Spirit in you if you know Christ as your Savior. 
And God wants you just to rest in the fact that he's got this, that he wants to honor you, that he's not forgotten his people and he's not forgotten you and what you're going through. And he knows it's that time for you. He knows it's that time and he remembers and he cares and he moves. So as we kind of land this here, I want you to think about what you're waiting for. What are you waiting for? And I challenge you to take this one thing that you're waiting for. And it may seem huge. It may seem insignificant. It may be to everyone else nothing important, but to you very important. It may be something that's beyond anything you can control. It may be something you think you can control yourselves. But what are you waiting for? And I want you to take this one thing that you're waiting for and give it this once to God. No, I mean really give it to God. I mean really get to the point of saying, okay, God, I'm going to take this thing, and it might be as precious as your children. I'm going to take this thing, my health, my finances, my kids, my job, my reputation. I'm going to take this thing that I'm waiting for, and I'm going to give it to you, God, and I'm going to trust you with it. And you do whatever you think is best. And you get the glory for it. And I'm going to just open my hands and trust you with this one thing, God. Just one thing. And I challenge you to do that today. As Tom comes up, it's an opportunity for us to take these, 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 these moments and truly pour out our heart before God. And wait with open arms, open hands, open cry. Whatever you want to do, God, I'm going to trust you. And wait for his direction and his answer. And just know that Jesus Christ is alive. He died on the cross, but he rose from the grave. And he's here. And he's moving. And he will be honored. And he's already went before you in this circumstance that you're waiting for. And he knows. Will you trust him? Father, I pray that you would just land on us the power of your spirit to trust. And may each one of us just surrender freely what we're waiting for to you. And God, I pray beyond that that you would just provide the answers as only you can provide so that we can just give you the glory. Amen.